of God's Word from the fifth chapter of St. Mark. Such a beautiful chapter and so inspirational that it's almost hard to get in and out of it without almost taking the whole, ca- whole chapter. It says so much in such a little time. But I suppose tonight to eliminate some time we'll begin reading at the 21st verse. Then we'll go to the 34th verse and read to the rest of the chapter. It says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Let's come down to the 34th verse, 35th verse, that same chapter. And while he yet spake, there came from the rule of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the turmoil, and them that wept and wailed greatly. When he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make you this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha kuma, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. They were astonished with a great astonishment. He charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Heavenly Father, as we have read from your word and see the truth that is in there, we stand behind your sacred desk one more time, at your bidding, at your commandment, certainly feeling unworthy and certainly recognizing our weakness and our unworthiness, knowing, Father, if you speak to this people and challenge a heart, your spirit will have to come and you will have to anoint. So we present ourselves right this moment, Master, as just a vessel to be used by the Holy Spirit of God. We claim to know nothing. We claim to be nothing. We pray, Father, that you would erase from our hearts, from our mind, anything that we might want to say, and replace it with your words. We pray, Father, that we could speak clearly, we could speak under the inspiration of God, and you would anoint the ears of those that hear, anoint their minds, Father, so they might comprehend their soul, God, to reach out and hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Again, we would like to welcome our visitors. We thank you for coming here and pray that it will 
mature into more than just a visitation. We appreciate anyone that would like to make this their church home. We just welcome you. And if not, we welcome you anyway. Praise the Lord. Just to worship the Lord with you and to feel the presence of the Lord. I think the key verse that I want to extract from that whole chapter is found in the 35th verse. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any farther? Now, this is a new thing to me. As I approach this certain scripture, because for years I have been studious in God's Word, and in doing that I have always prepared and almost always have had at least a few pages of notes that God has given me, and uh, I don't apologize for ministering from notes, and some thoughts in advance that God has given me. But starting last night and working all through the day, and I mean, I really got in earnest about an hour before I come to church for God to say something more than just this scripture to me. And he just whispered to me and said, I am sufficient. <laughs> so, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> standing up here with one scripture on my heart <laughs> and hardly any direction to go. You feel sorry for me? <laughs> you should. <laughs> Praise the Lord, because if this thing flops tonight, you blame God. Don't blame me. I got nothing to do with it at all. Because uh, I asked him to give me something that I could put down and notes that I could finally follow. But sometimes maybe he just likes to have things his way. And I don't have any more sense than to just let him do it. Praise the Lord. That's, that's just the way I have to operate. Is because if I operate on my own sense, it won't get very far. But I'm going to operate on God's. I want you to notice in that scripture there is a certain finality to what is said there. Thy daughter is dead. Now, anytime you talk about death, that strikes a chord of finality. I mean, you hardly argue with death at all. You just accept it as that which has come and went, claimed its prey, and walked off, and very little that we can say or do about it. And then the question comes, your daughter is dead. I mean, that's all there is to it. Why troubleth the master any farther? In other words, she's already gone. There's hardly anything else he could say or do. Now, I want you to grasp the significance of what is happening there and realize that Jesus had just, in this chapter before, healed a maniac at Gadara and did a magnificent work there. And uh, as he did uh, deliver this man that had been under torment for so long, uh, they wasn't impressed with him at all. In other words, you can read it in the Bible, and we've dealt with this often, uh, the people at Gadara wasn't impressed with him at all. In fact, the Bible says he destroyed their livelihood, and he destroyed their pigs, and so he, they asked him to move out from their coast. And so Jesus, not wanting or not being able to, that's one thing that Jesus can handle is 
when people want to live in their sins and they don't want any part of him, well, then there's nothing he can do about it. He just naturally walks off. And so recognizing that, they prayed him to depart from his co their coast, and Jesus left. And we find him here at the beginning of where we took off reading. He had just came back, and uh, then this is where Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes, hears that he is there, and throws himself down at the master's feet and beseeches him. In other words, this scripture, this word is begs him. I mean, he totally lost all respect for himself in any manner or any way. And you've got to realize that the rulers of the synagogue had too much to do with Jesus at all. They was afraid to. They was afraid of what people would say, but here's a man that's in trouble. Here's an individual that's got a little daughter that is dying right at the point of death, he says, and he's throwing himself at the master's feet, and he's just simply saying, I need your help. Hallelujah. I need your help. Praise God. I like that. I need your help. In other words, he lost all reality of himself. All the pride in his own life was gone. Everything that he held dear and sacred and everything that the temple had to offer and the synagogue had to offer hadn't been able to touch the life of that little one that was so precious to him. And so recognizing the power of Jesus, hearing what Jesus had done, and there's no telling how many times he saw the miraculous power of God, he comes and throws himself prostrate at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and literally begs him to listen to what he has to say. He's saying to God, I've got a problem that nobody can handle but you. I don't know why I'm saying that other than to challenge us tonight that sometimes we go as far as these hands can take us, we go as far as these feet can walk with us, and we say all the right things and all the things that this voice can say, that there finally comes a time in our life that we realize that's not enough. That humanity doesn't have what it takes to deliver us in some hours. And Jesus is asking us to leave our pride to the side, lay it down here someplace, and get a hold of him and say, Master, I really need you. And we've got a world out here that's lost. We've got sons and daughters that's dead in trespasses and sin and don't know the way to get anywhere and is bound by the demonic forces of hell and can't loose themselves and our hands can't do it and our feet can't do it and our voice can't do it. But Jesus says, if you'll come to me, I'll go to your house and I'll take care of those things. But he does want us to go to his house. Hallelujah. We've got to lay ourselves at the master's feet and says it simply begged him. Now, I don't think we have to beg Jesus for anything at all, but this man didn't know it. I think we as children of God have got every legal right to come up and say, Jesus, I need this. I don't think he needs to find us at the foot of the cross begging. We need to be at the foot of the cross, all right, but we need to be there asking. He said, if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you would find. If you knock, it would be open unto you. And so we find him there beseeching Jesus. He said, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her. I want you to look at the faith that is there, that she may be healed. Come and touch her that she may be healed, and she shall live. I want to talk about spiritual death tonight. I want to talk about those out there that's dying a, a strange spiritual death. And realize that the touch of the Master is the only thing that's going to bring them to a life that they need in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They need their soul healed. Amen. They need a touch from the Master. Amen. They've had all of man's religiosity. They've had all of man's tradition. They've had all of man's ideas, idiocracies and idiosyncrasies. And they had all that man can do. But they needed a touch of the Holy God of Israel upon their heart and upon their life to satisfy their soul and to heal their life and let them live. Hallelujah. The world needs to live. Glory. Hallelujah. The world needs to live. And it needs a touch of the Master. Praise the name of the Lord. And Jesus went with him. <laughs> I like that. Jesus went with him. Praise the Lord. But now there's a few problems that enters in there. And as Jesus walks, and still it's like that, people followed him and thronged him. Now the Bible is telling us something there. And if you'll notice, if I can remember exactly where the Scripture is in one of the Gospels, where this uh, bunch of individuals had a lame man. And they wanted to get to Jesus, but there was such a crowd around him that they couldn't get to him. Amen? And so not to be outdone, they said, well, we can't get to him from this side. And we can't get to him from this side, and the door is blocked, but we still have somebody here that he's got to touch. He'll never be able to do anything, he'll never be able to walk until we get him in the presence of Jesus. And so they go to the roof, here the roof over the house, and let him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus liked that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He didn't pay any attention to the roof that was tore off because he can always put a roof back on. Amen? Sometimes we put too much emphasis on material things that can be replaced. But a soul in life can't be replaced. Amen? And you know who was blocking that man and his friends from getting to Jesus? His own disciples. They were the first ones around him and other crowded in around him. And I said all that to say this. A lot of times we crowd around Jesus with our little wants and our little desires instead of believing it can come just by the Master's touch or asking Him. We crowd around Him sometimes with our own selfish motives and desires and block out the world that's come that's crippled and needs a touch from the Master. And we keep him so tied up and so busy in ourselves with our own little things that really matter, not at all. Where if we would really turn loose and get our mind off of ourselves and get it on God, he'd come and touch our own lives as well as somebody else's. Hallelujah. Sometimes we get so ingrowing with our own ideas and our own opinions and had our own loved ones and all of this and that's fine and good. But then there's a world out here that needs Jesus. And if we could learn the secret of just praying for this world and knowing that, then Jesus would add to us. We wouldn't have to crowd around him and keep the world out from him. But they thronged him. And as he was going there, he was hindered a little bit. And we're not going to go into this. Uh, we preached this before on the little woman with the issue of blood. But I want you to imagine, as Jesus takes time to listen to the plea of this little woman, he lets you know that his ears is open 
to anybody that has a need. I mean, if he was like us, first and foremost, this man was first, and so naturally we'll take care of him. Amen? But he also heard the cry of this little woman, had the issue of blood for all those long years, spent all of her money on physicians, and she came and touched him, and Jesus stopped. And he took some time out there to deal with her life. And to tell her and to move all the fears out of her life. That must have took a little while. It looks like on the surface that it didn't take very long. But it must have took quite a little while for Jesus to deal with her life. Took some time for her to get through. Took some time for him to get through the crowd. And finally her trembling fingers touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed immediately. And Jesus could have went on, but he left that little lady bound in fear. And he didn't want anybody bound in fear. So he stopped to explain and to expound upon a freedom that is found in him. And can you imagine this man, as he comes and besought Jesus, and he says she's at the point of death. In other words, she's dying. When I left, she was dying. In other words, inside, she may be dead by now. And I'm sure he stood there, on tiptoes wondering about this man that he'd put his trust in. This Jesus he had come. And here he was taking some time out while his daughter lay dying. You see, this man had to learn a lesson. Faith was tested. How much did he really believe in Jesus? And I think that same faith in you and yours in my day and in our individual life is, is tested. How much do we really believe in Jesus? when our prayers are not immediately answered, when there's nothing whatsoever on the surface to indicate that God really ever heard us, that He really cares. How strong is our faith? How anchored is the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? How secure is our belief in Him? And regardless of what happens, He still is concerned about us. I'm sure it was hard for that man as he stood there, and I'm sure he was wondering, I wonder if he's forgot about me. He is a busy man. The crowd is thronging him. He's teaching this little lady. And my daughter's dying. I wonder if he's forgot about me. And yet all at the same time, Jesus had an eye on this man. Yes, he never takes his gaze from us. Even in the darkest hour, when it don't seem like he's there, or he even cares. He has an eye upon us. He sees us. He knows where we're at. And he'll test our faith right to the very edge. And he did this. I noticed they came to him and they said, Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. Now, I don't know that you've ever had those words spoken directly like that. But how many times have you had the devil to come to you and say, It's all over now. There's no use you praying about this anymore. Don't trouble God anymore. You can see that he hasn't answered your prayer. You can see that this is final. Death has entered in. It's a final thing. And of course, this man's faith, I'm sure it was almost ready to break. Now, why do you say that? Because the next verse backs it up. Jesus tells us, and he bears it out here that he'll put no more on us than that which we're able to bear. In other words, he may take us to the breaking point of our faith that he'll never let our faith break. 
Amen. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, as soon as he heard those beatings come from there and that awful finality of that thing, when it says your daughter's dead, don't weary your master any longer. And Jesus all the time was mindful of that man that stood out there. He hadn't forgot him. It seemed like he had as far as the world was concerned and the crowd was concerned, they was caught up with the miracle of what happened to the little woman. But Jesus had more sure things on his mind. He still knew that man was there. He still heard his begging inside. He still looked out and seen how is his faith staying. And then this man, almost to the breaking point, your daughter's dead. Nothing you can do about it. And right then, Jesus hears it. Hallelujah. And he says to that ruler, don't be afraid. <laughs> My daughter's dead. You spent some time here. And you're asking me not to be afraid, but to believe. That's astonishing. I've seen time after time where Jesus has stood in the midst of adverse conditions of individual's life where there seemed to be no answer whatsoever and he has the audacity to ask them to believe and to be happy in their situation. I don't think he just did it there. I think he does us the same way. But we fail to be happy about it. Because we don't believe. If we could believe in him, we would be happy about it. We might not understand it, but we would be happy about it because we know it's in the hands of one that sees all and knows all and does all and whatever happens is for the best in our life. And right at the breaking point, he says to this man, now don't you be afraid. You don't pay any attention to what the world is saying to you out there. You just believe in me. Hallelujah. Glory. Just believe in me. On what basis, Lord? I mean, what have I got to hold to? How how you expect me to believe in you? She's dead. And you've been gobbling your time away here with this little lady. And I was here first. What basis? Just because he's Jesus. You don't have to have a reason to believe on him. Just because he's the master. Just because what he says in this word is sure and steadfast and it'll stand in the world on fire. You can't burn it. You can't drown it. You can't do away with it. It's there. And so Jesus says, And then he breaks up the crowd. He says, now, I don't need you anymore. You've been a hindrance. <laughs> you see, we're so interested in the crowd, sometimes we forget Jesus. Amen? We're so interested in how big a crowd we can get that we fail to see Jesus walking in the midst. And fail to realize sometimes a crowd is more of a hindrance than it is a good. And Jesus just dismisses them and says, Now, 
All I want with me is Peter and James and John. Then he comes to the house, 38th verse, the ruler of the synagogue, and sees the turmoil. In other words, he sees that word turmoil means noise and confusion. The Bible says, where there's confusion, there's ever an evil work. And so he goes into that house, and he sees those individuals that's in there, and they're weeping and they're wailing greatly. These are professional mourners. They're making all kinds of noise. And Jesus just simply asked them, Why are you doing this? Why are you making all this ado and making all this racket? And I think he's trying to tell us sometimes in the solemnness and the quietness of the hour and when Jesus is the closest to us and can do the best for us. I realize Pentecost was born in the noise and we got a right to be noisy at there's sometimes when we need to take Almighty God by the hand and in the solemnness of the hour sit down with Him and listen to His voice alone and erase the rest of the world out. Then we can reach Him and then we can touch Him. Then we can hear what He has to say. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says there are many, there are, it may be, so many voices in the world and none of them without signification. In other words, every voice has a meaning. That God Almighty has asked us in the midst of this dim and noise of this world to find a quiet place in Him and find only His voice ringing down through the corners of time and the ages of eternity to our day and listen to what He says to us. The world is trying everything. There's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of noise being made in the world. Can you say, man, there's a lot of noise being made in the world? And all of it has a significance of some type. But not all of it has anything to do with what God is wanting to do in our life. And he says, move out these professional mourners. You're making a lot of noise and you're doing a lot of weeping. And the damsel is not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed in the scorn. <laughs> Listen to that stuff. She's not dead. She's sleeping while we washed her. We checked her pulse. We know she's dead. Here that man comes and never even saw her. Has the audacity to stand there and tell us that she's not dead. <laughs> Laughing to scorn. And the world out here is laughing God's people to scorn because we won't give up on the world out here this dead. They laugh, they go on, they say there's nothing to it. You can never reach them. But Jesus knows something we don't know. Or they don't know. We know it. We know that death is out there. But we know that He is alive. And if we can just get Him in our house. Hallelujah. If we can just get Jesus in our house. But he said, I got all this I want. I want these people out of here. said, when he put them all out, he takes the father and the mother of the damsel. Then he takes Peter and James and John. 
they go into where the damsel is lying and they have church. I mean, it's a situation now where they can have church. Amen. You can't always have church with a crowd. Amen. I'm not against the crowd. Don't fill us up as much as you can fill us up. And I'm trying to say a crowd don't get it all the time. Sometimes there's so much confusion going on that the power of God can't be demonstrated. So much unbelief. Unbelief will come and occupy a seat in individuals you never thought about. Unbelief will simply hinder the work of God. And so they come in and he takes the father and the mother by the hand. I don't know where their faith was at. It doesn't say too much about how much faith they had. It just simply says that uh, he takes them, takes the father and mother. In other words, I can just picture him now as he's got rid of all of that noise that you don't need. All those professional mourners and how what a noise they was making. How good they was at this. You still have professional mourners. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> I've officiated at so many funerals and I see people there that get their kicks out of going to funerals. I mean, they don't go for any good at all only to wash the sorrow of somebody else. Amen, that's so. I mean, you'll find them there, almost all of them, they don't even know the individual. They never say a word to anybody else. They just get their jollies out of washing the sorrow of somebody else. And these individuals was professional mourners, and they was getting their jollies. They was getting their kicks out of making all this noise. While all this noise was going on, there was utter chaos and utter confusion. And Jesus says, let's get rid of that confusion. I can't do anything in the midst of division and confusion. I can't do it. And so he just simply eliminates it. Now, can you imagine? Now, I'm not going to do it. I'm not that brave yet. But can you imagine some pastor of a church or somebody coming in and somebody wants to be healed? And they get up and they say, now just you and you and you stay and the rest of you get out of here. Can you imagine how long he would last? I mean, the best, I mean, you'd get your pink slip right away. I know that. <laughs> now you're standing there looking at me funny, but you'd probably be one of them to help. Say, we don't do things like that. We're supposed to get... And there are times when all of us have unbelief. Uh, we won't admit it. And so while we're not admitting it, somebody's suffering. But Jesus says, now let's dismiss this camp meeting. <laughs> I mean, you've had your fun now. It's all over. And you haven't done a thing for this family. You've just increased your sorrow. And their doubts. And everything is in a big uproar. The little lady's dead. You've got, got confusion going on. Nobody knows what's going on. The father and mother don't know what's going on. And Jesus says, now that's enough of you. And he takes Peter and James and John, gets the father and mother by the hand. And I just almost see him get him by the hand. Said, let's go in and see your little girl. Come on, I want, to, I want you to go in with me and see your little girl. And so he goes in. The Bible says, took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, to lift a kuma, this simply means little maiden, arise. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a setting. The master, life itself. 
nobody doubting, no unbelief, individuals waiting there for something, not knowing. And he takes her by the hand and he says, Little maiden, I send to you rise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. That's just like a little kid, ain't it? I mean, that's what you'd expect out of them, wouldn't you? It's the minute they get up, they start walking. They're just so filled with energy. And it's time to relate here that she was just as good after she was raised from the dead as she was before. Whatever sickness it was took her to her bed. She was all right now. She was walking just like a normal little girl. Jesus had touched her life. And he charged them that no man should know it. We'll get to that some other time. And commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now, it was an old superstition in those days. Now, they believed in ghosts, apparitions. And Jesus had had to deal with this, you can tell by, by this here. And it was an old superstition. The way they found out whether this individual was a reality or not, was to give them something to eat. And if they eat, they were human. And if they didn't eat, <laughs> it's time to get out of there. <laughs> and so Jesus says, give her something to eat. <laughs> I'm going to prove to you that this is not something I conjured up. This is not some superstition or something that I just conjured up and presented there. It's not a magical trick. It is a reality. She's alive and she's eating, thank God. The Bible says, and they were astonished. Not only just astonished, but with a great astonishment. What a miracle. What a miracle that was presented to this man that stood there almost ready to give it up. Almost ready to say, she's dead, it's final. And they were standing there saying, don't bother him any longer. I'm sure he was about ready to close it up. Say, well, I tried. But Jesus, as always when we come to him, is mindful of us. He may be doing something for somebody else over there. And it may seem like that he's not interested in our problem anymore. But your faith, how is your anchor? Hallelujah. Let it hold as long as it will. When it gets almost ready to release, you'll find the master there saying, that's all right now. I've taken care of the whole thing. It's going to be fine. You just have to believe. Hallelujah. You just have to dig down into your resources and you just have to believe what brought you to me in the first place? It's a good question. Why did we come to God in the first place? Because we believed Him. Because we felt that whole weight and burden of sin. Hallelujah, that precious blood. Has it cleansed us? Or has it cleansed us? We believed Him. And we felt that presence come into us, the Holy Spirit of God. And as it did, we believed Him. He was saying to this man now, the same belief that brought you to me is what's required now. I'm still here. Let's go to your house. Now, 
Hallelujah. Musicians come. God wants to come to your house right now. He wants you to hold. Throw out that anchor. Throw out that lifeline. He may be doing something else somewhere else, but he still knows where you're at. And any time the world comes in with a certain ring of finality, says don't trouble him any longer. Don't bother him anymore. Just be sure of this one thing. Jesus still standing right there. Still mindful of your problem, hasn't forgot about it at all. And says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But God, how can I keep from being afraid? How can I stop this flesh from quivering and shaking? How, how can I reconcile this God? What have I got to hold to? Most gracious thing God ever given me, buddy. His word. He doesn't always say you're going to have a miracle to look at. But you're always going to have his word to hold on to. He don't tell you that there's going to be something supernatural always shining itself out. He don't tell you that, but he does tell you his word's always going to be there. He don't tell you it's going to be a bed of roses, no thorns. He just says he's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He'll never leave us and never forsake us, but go with us all the way, even unto the end of the world. He don't say that the sun will always shine, but he does say he'll guide us in the midst of the darkness. He don't say there won't be sicknesses, but he does say there will be no temptation. He does say that he won't put any more on us than that which we can bear. And when we have reached our limit, we're going to hear the voice of Jesus crying out above any voice in this world and saying, I'm still here. I've still got it under control. I'm just asking for your belief. Would you stand with me?